Welcome to Trip Talk. I'm Jennifer Napier Pierce with the Salt Lake Tribune. Signs urging motorists to share the road are becoming much more commonplace these days, but auto bicycle collisions continue to occur in Utah with frequency. What will make city and neighborhood streets safer for bikes? Today on Trip Talk, we're following up on our Sunday story on bike accidents and the role that urban planning can play in bicycle safety. Joining me on the Google Hangout today is Becca Rolf. She is Salt Lake City's bicycle and pedestrian coordinator, joining us from her office at City Hall. And Becca, great to see you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Also with us, uh, David Davis is direct, executive director of the Salt Lake City Bicycle Collective, and he's with us here in the Tribune newsroom. And uh, David, great to have you. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about it. And you can join our conversation today. Do you navigate the city on a bike? What ideas do you have for making the roads safer for cyclists, cars, and pedestrians? If you've got questions or comments, send them along to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google+, or put them in the comment section of our page at sltrib.com. Uh, we do see a lot more signage out on the roads. We do see more bike lanes. And yet, as my colleague Jim Dalrymple reported over the weekend, there uh, were 800 153 auto bike collisions in Salt Lake City over the past five or so years. Uh, nearly 1,200 if you look at uh, countywide in Salt Lake County. Uh, Becca, why are auto bike accidents so common? Okay, so I'd like to put that in a little context to start. Uh, in that, um, while that sounds like a large number, that is not necessarily saying that those are people who went to the hospital. Those are not people who died. Those are not people who even had necessarily serious crashes. Um, when you look at the number of crashes on a street, I think people would be surprised how many minor crashes there really are out there anytime that you have human beings interacting, whether they're on a bike, in a car, um, or uh, on foot. Um, so uh, whenever you look at the number of crashes in a given area, you would be surprised how many crashes there are in a parking lot, for example. Okay. So just, just to put that in context, I'm not sure that I think that that's a huge number of crashes. Um, it's certainly any crash is something that we try to avoid, um, but uh, there are crashes that occur. Dave, uh, David, I understand you've never been in an auto bike accident, knock on wood, um, even after years of bicycle, bicycle commuting as well as working as a, a bicycle messenger, uh, but surely you know people who have been in accidents. What, what kind of stories are floating around the Bicycle Collective? Uh, well, so I feel very lucky, you know, to not have been in any bad accidents myself. I've never been knocked off my bike. But uh, people get hit, and uh, people people have dangerous things happen to them. But I think I think Becca's point is a really good um, good thing to remember. Is is you know there's there's flux in a city, and people come in contact with each other. And one of the things that's nice about what's been happening the last five years is the number of bikes on the street go up quite um, exponentially. It seems every year. So the uh, number of bikers out there are increasing, so probably the number of accidents increased, but probably the accidents overall, uh, you know, statistically have gone down. But what what I hear a lot of is um, people feeling like they're not seen, people feeling like they um, are properly illuminated and riding predictably, and then inevitably there's a collision where they, where um, when it comes to talking with police officers, um, the, the 
the driver of a car says, oh, I just didn't see that cyclist. And that's one of the things I want to talk about today is the number of ways you can minimize that and the things we can do on both both sides of the um, driver's cockpit. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Becca, uh, there have been accidents, there have been fatalities, but you say that it, it's relatively small percentage of those who are bicycle commuting that it's happening to. And yet, um, as David said, there is a perception out there that um, bikes are in danger, Bic cyclists are in danger, that cars are erratic, I mean, um, uh, perception can be reality. Yeah, I think that goes both ways. I think that um, if, if people think of themselves as being in one box or another, as being a motorist or a cyclist, um, some of us are both, many of us are both, really, um, that uh, you feel like the other person isn't looking out for you. And I think that um, it's a responsibility on the part of everyone who's on the road to remember to slow down and pay attention, for motorists to remember whenever they're in the urban environment particularly that they are going to see bicyclists and pedestrians on the street, and to take the time to look, especially at intersections. Intersections are where most crashes occur. Um, and similarly for bicyclists to um, you know, respect the traffic laws uh, as far as particularly stopped lights, um, stop signs, uh, and, and using proper lane positioning will help bicyclists to be seen considerably. I've also never been in a crash, touch wood, um, and, uh, and I think that that's partly because I know how to ride to be safe and predictable in traffic. Now the census data is showing that uh, three and a half percent of commuters into Salt Lake are on bikes. Um, in Provo, it's four percent. So the numbers are going up, as uh, David mentioned. Um, why? Why are more people riding to work and to school and around town? We see a lot more bicyclists out there. Um, Becca, theories? Um, I think there's several contributing factors. I think one thing is that there are cultural shifts going on um, where particularly those who are in their 20s and 30s are less interested in car ownership and in driving and making choices to live closer to home, uh, between home and work and school. And so the bicycle is a vehicle that allows you to move quickly through um, a fairly short distance commute. Um, if you're not living out in the suburbs, if you're living more in an urban environment, um, you, it, the bicycle comes, uh, you, know, you, you can leave on a bicycle exactly when you want to. You don't have to go and get on, uh, you know, wait at a bus stop and then get on a bus. Um, but gives you the flexibility to um, both do your travel as well as get some exercise at the same time. Um, I think that the increased bicycle facilities are attractive to people. It gives them the possibility to um, do their commute or errands or going to visit friends by bike. Um, I also think that um, gas prices are a contributing factor and that as we see gas prices changing, it, um, the economics of owning a car have changed uh, such that not everyone thinks that that's something that they necessarily want to put a large percentage of their income into. Hmm. And, and the, the, I'm sorry, the plus side of that is that bicyclists actually have more disposable income than some people who would be otherwise in a similar economic situation and choose to put their money into the car. So there might be a perception that, oh, bicyclists are, are you know, penny pinchers or so on, but they actually have the ability to spend money on something else other than their transportation. It is an economical form of transportation. David, have you seen a lot of uh, increased interest over the past few years in what you do at the, at the Bike Collective? 
Yeah, unequivocally. I mean, Becca touched on a lot of the points about what makes biking so attractive on kind of a, a large scale, but uh, Salt Lake is a great place to bike in general because we have uh, beautiful things right at our fingertips, and uh, we can go straight up into the mountains on your bike. You can you can ride up to the Bonneville Shoreline Trail. You can ride up City Creek, Emigration, whatever kind of riding you're into, you can get to it relatively quickly, and that's fantastic. There's room for all of the different... Um, infrastructure and accommodations whether you're whether you're a, a family pedaling around the basin on uh, safe bike lanes and we're getting we're getting more low impact bike lanes every year or uh, somebody who's a enthusiast who wants to go up a canyon and really put in some hard miles we've got we've got all that there so what we've been seeing at the collective is a more diverse crowd not just the messengers coming in to keep their work whips on the road but you know college students college professors families come in and get every single person in the household on wheels because it's kind of a like Becca was saying it's kind of a silver bullet it we're, we're always looking for something that increases our um, connectivity to our community and makes us happier and healthier and uh, saves us money and biking kinda does it you know mm -hmm. pretty well Speaking with David Davis with the Salt Lake City Bicycle Collective, also with this Becca Rolf. She's with the uh, with Salt Lake City. She's their bicycle and pedestrian coordinator, and we're talking about bikes and safety on the roads. And you're welcome to join this conversation. Uh, what would it take for you to ride your bike to work? Have you had a close call, either driving or riding on a bike? Send your thoughts and stories to the hashtag TripTalk on Twitter and Google+, or put them in the comments section of our page at sltrib.com. Uh, Becca, Salt Lake City, of course, known for its very wide streets, where you could turn a, a horse carriage in a U-turn. Um, uh, does that help or hurt when it comes to bicycle safety? Well, it's a little bit of both. Um, so Salt Lake City's wide streets, um, one thing that is a plus with that is that we often have space where we can provide bicycle accommodations on the street. Um, the disadvantage to having the wide streets is that it means that we often have multiple lanes of traffic, um, which complicates the situation at intersections. Um, it also means that motorists tend to be going faster because with multiple lanes of traffic you can, say, decide that you're going to go zooming past one of the slower motorists in the other lane. Um, it also means that um, the lanes tend to be wider um, of the existing traffic lanes and so motorists feel like they have more space to go fast. So speed is a very much a contributing factor to how severe a crash is whenever a motorist does make contact with someone who's either on a bicycle or a pedestrian. Mm. In Jim Dalrymple's story over the weekend, uh, he noted that there are some streets that are, are prone to, uh, to accidents and uh, pointed to 700 East in Salt Lake City, to Redwood Road. And even though these, these wide streets have a designated bike lane, um, yeah. It, it can cause some trouble. I mean, talk about what's wrong with, say, 700 East. Okay, well, 700 East is an interesting example. Um, actually, I think the crashes that he referred to were south of the city limits um, in sections where there is not actually a currently a bike lane. Um, there is a bike lane on 700 East in the northern section, north of 21st South, um, and continuing up to 8th South, where it intersects with another bike lane. Um, and I actually ride on it almost every day, uh, as uh, that's part of my commute, and because it's fast. Um, and I feel comfortable doing that, um, because I understand 
how to um, position myself on the road, particularly at the intersections. And I'm also very visible. Um, but it is true that in the southern part of 700 East, where there is not a separate bike lane, um, and where the traffic speeds are even higher, um, speed limit goes up into 45, 50 miles an hour, um, and there's multiple lanes of traffic, particularly um, when you have a turning motorist, may not see the bicyclist on the far side of the street. Um, and I, that's the way that one fatality occurred last fall. Mm. Uh, Crossing, you know, probably, I don't know the exact intersection, but probably crossing three or four lanes of traffic. You're looking to make sure that you're not having oncoming motor vehicle traffic. And so if you have a bicyclist then over on the side, the motorist's attention has to be spread across all of those lanes of traffic and doesn't see the bicyclist on the side as the smallest of the vehicles on the road. So is that where the trouble occurs? You said the intersection is the most problematic. I mean, is it is it the, the cyclist trying to get from the right side of the road all the way over to a left turn lane? Is that the, the, the trouble spot? Or is it um, a, a right turning car into a bike that is going through an intersection? Um, do you see what I'm uh, saying? The right turning car is a well-known crash type, but I would say it is often less severe than a through bicyclist being impacted by a left turning vehicle, um, which is what the fatality on 700 East was um, last fall, um, or a bicyclist who is turning left um, not having quite enough time before an oncoming motor vehicle makes contact. Okay. Uh, so it is the intersections, and I think the message there is for everyone to slow down and pay attention. Um, for motorists to look around for the places that they might see a bicyclist, and similarly for bicyclists to position themselves appropriately um, to where their direction of travel is and, um, and respect the traffic lights. I want to bring in some of our... Um our viewers here. This is from Ammon1953 on our website, sltrip.com. One of the problems of being relegated to side, smaller, slower streets is that we would never be able to cross the larger streets. Instead, let's just all follow the laws and watch out for each other. So Becca, echoing what you just said, um, mm -hmm. slowing down, being aware, um, knowing that there are cyclists out on the road. Um, here's a comment from Shiloh Platts. Pedal bikes should stay off the highways and be relegated to slow residential streets. If you can't pedal yourself to a 25 mile per hour minimum, then do what most of the rest of us do and commute in something with a motor. Um, and this coming from uh, Lib Gentile, uh, responding to that, your ignorance is a clear example of the problem that exists. Your solution is simply to create a dual set of traffic corridors, one for bikes and one for cars. While this can work with bike trails and the such, uh, for city urban commuting, it will never work for lack of space and money. I, I, I guess... Uh, that's about as uh, blunt as you can get. <laughs> you can't have one system uh, primarily solely for bikes and one for cars in such a congested urban atmosphere. I mean, Becca, it's just not feasible, right? Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind is that all of the destinations that are destinations for motorists are also destinations for bicycles because it's really a destination for people. So um, if, for example, you live on 700 East, you and you choose to go by bicycle, you're going to need to at some point ride on 700 East, even if you choose to ride on a slower street for most of your distance. Um, but we do have separated streets where bicyclists are not allowed, they can't keep up with motor vehicle traffic, and those are, that's called the freeway system. 
And so we have that in Salt Lake City, and we have it in abundance. Uh, David, anything to, to add? Feel free to jump in here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's an interesting conversation to have. Do you relegate people to separate systems, or do you mix them? And uh, everything that I've ever seen from an urban planning perspective and personal experience says that when you mix different people doing different things, that's what makes cities a fun place to live and a place where you have chance encounters, where you run into friends, where you feel like a human being instead of a, a person shuttling from place to place. And that's the kind of place that I want to live. Um, and the cool thing about Salt Lake is you have options. If you want to go out with your family and kind of pedal leisurely, you can take the Jordan River Parkway, or you can take 8th East, and you can be one street up from the fast street and take your time. Or if you're a commuter getting to work quickly, there's options on 7th East as well, and there's a safe way to do it in both places. And um, what, what I would caution against is separating people so much that they don't have to pay attention to one another because that's where you get high-speed cars that end up hurting people or bicyclists biking in a way that's completely oblivious to other traffic on the road. And that, to me, is... Um, something we're moving away from as more people bike and more bike infrastructure comes into the city. And uh, though there may be a perception of this slowing things down, I think any statistics that you look at say that it's actually making things work more efficiently. Speaking with David Davis with the uh, Salt Lake City Bike Collective as well as Becca Rolf with Salt Lake City and uh, we're talking about bikes safety on the roads and if you'd like to join us you can send your thoughts to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google Plus or put them in the comments section at sltrib.com. Uh, this from Superdu at sltrib.com. I'd like to know what is being done in Salt Lake County to not only add bike lanes but to connect them. Too often you use a designated bike lane to to find that it ends and you're stuck in major traffic. Um, Becca, obviously you don't work for the county, but what is happening in the out, in the areas outside of the city proper? Um, are our cities and, and the county, are, are you talking to each other on how to, to connect all of these different paths? So um, Salt Lake County, um, about a year and a half ago, hired someone to similarly be a bicycle and pedestrian coordinator within the county. Um, and he has been working with both um, the various municipalities around the county as well as with UDOT because many of the major roads um, with the connectivity and um, when, when you're on a bicycle, just as when you're in a motor vehicle, you want to be able to get from A to B and sometimes uh, once you're outside of the city limits, we don't have as much of a grid system in the whole county. So you still want to have bikeways on the major roads. Um, so George has been working a lot with uh, UDOT in terms of incorporating bikeways into the projects that um, affect the more through streets within the county. Is that a common complaint that you hear, David, that um, you sort of hit the end of the road and then you're just kind of stuck in a place that's very busy, not very bicycle friendly? Um, uh, is that what your constituency Thanks out there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the Bicycle Collective, we do a lot of different work with a lot of different people. And, and some of our main clientele are refugees that just relocate to West Valley City or places around the valley that are outside of the hot spot of downtown that has really great bicycle infrastructure. And what we need to start working on is how do we meaningfully spread that infrastructure out to accommodate those major routes. And luckily, we have lots of great minds working on that. There's the bike pedestrian master plan for the county that um, is in the works right now. And a lot of that focuses on 
through routes, but we're not quite there yet. There's there's a couple examples even close to downtown. Um, the the ability to put in an east-west corridor south of 17th South for bicyclists that was that was safe and able to take you up all the way to um, Wasatch Drive and all the way down to the Jordan River Parkway would be great to see. And we've got some progress with the the Parley Rail Trail that would do something like that, but. Um, at the end of the day, the same things that we were able to do in Salt Lake because of our wide streets and because of the um, availability of infrastructure that we have, I think as we see the modal share increase for bicycles, it will spread outward through the valley without much cost to other other people using the roads. Hmm. Uh, here's another comment, Westminster Forum, while, uh, while driver bicycle behavior is still a work in progress, enforcement of laws evenly across the board for drivers and riders will get people's attention and set a precedent for road respect. Accidents between motorists and bicyclists should be treated as the potentially lethal confrontations that they are. Drivers cited for accidents which kill or hospitalize a person on a bike should be charged with negligent automobile homicide. Um, some tough talk there. And uh, Becca, do you feel like um, the laws protecting cyclists are being enforced? Uh, the Salt Lake City Trans uh, Police Department has been working increasingly on uh, enforcing the laws regarding both motorists and bicyclists, but I do think that this is a question that is broader than any one police department, that is broader than any one municipality in terms of how do we perceive um, the responsibilities uh, on the road and is indeed um, harming someone with a motor vehicle or even deliberately threatening someone with a motor vehicle, the same as waving around a gun. Um, and that's that's a broader societal discussion, really, than any one uh, police department, I think, weighs into. Um, but it's, um, it's a discussion that we as a society are starting to have. Hmm. It's, uh, yeah, oh, just, just to follow up on that, it's... Um, it's one of these interesting things where, like Be Becca said, a lot of people are bikers and motorists, and it's not really a, an issue of, of um, us versus them. But a lot of cyclists, when they are on their bikes, feel disenfranchised by the, the way the, the law anecdotally seems to respond to bike car collisions, like they're not as serious as car-on-car -car collisions. Uh, but I think... I think like Becca was alluding to with this um, notion of, of threatening someone with a vehicle, if you get into a situation where there's a car and a bike in the same space and um, a car is behaving in a threatening manner or a bike is behaving in a threatening manner, it's important to think about power, it's important to think about the weight of the object, and it's important to think about the repercussions if something goes wrong. So I think that I think that it is something that we have to talk about as a society. What um, What do we allow people to do on the roads um, that that may be criminal or may just be a uh, accident or a crash, you know. Well, uh, there is some confusion when it comes to exactly what bikes are supposed to be doing. Um, my mother-in-law was telling me just yesterday that she saw uh, a cyclist stopped at an intersection with a van, and the cyclist was holding on to the van or appeared to be holding on to the van as it went through the intersection and she couldn't figure out what was going on there. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes you see behaviors and you're a little puzzled. Um, this fits in with a, a commenter, Dan S., on our website. It would be easy for UDOT to revise the driver education handbook and the written driver's test to help make 
drivers more aware of the rules for driving near cyclists. So uh, again, I mean, are the rules crystal clear and do, are drivers aware of what cyclists should be doing and vice versa? Um, uh, David, what do you think? Well, I think, I think it brings up a great point and I think that, that across the board, people could use more education and people make mistakes and do things that um, that are uh, frankly ridiculous sometimes in in public because that's part of public life is is people I mean we've all run into situations walking through the city where somebody does something obscene or absurd and um, part of getting better as a society is is responding to that and educating to that so one of the things that we do at the Bike Collective is we teach children between the ages of 6 and 17 how to work on their own bikes and how to ride safely in traffic. And I would love it if every kid, when they were 8 to 12 years old, learned the rules of the road on a bike because those rules on the road on the bike apply to the rules of the road when you're behind the driver's seat of a car. Um, and uh, I think we just, I think we're on the right track. You know, we've got people in mass numbers riding in our streets, and that means that there's more exposure. I think you're, um, relative who saw somebody holding onto a car probably wouldn't have seen that two years ago and maybe in ten years that will be the kind of behavior that people don't do because it's absurd you know um, and it just takes education and time and and realization that this is a uh, legitimate form of transportation that people have to kind of keep their heads about them while they're doing it and while they're around it I mean, Becca, are, are we doing enough when it comes to to driver's ed and in integrating biking into our car-centric culture? I think we're certainly making good strides in that direction, um, but I think that uh, the U.S. education system, and again this is beyond any one municipality, even beyond the region, um, that as an education system um, we could do more to uh, include life skills like walking, biking, operating a motor vehicle as part of our formal education system. We, there, across the country, um, organizations like Davies, um, organizations like mine with the transportation division, we're all nibbling at that uh, initiative to get education in the schools. But it's, I would say that as a country, it is not uniform and systemic and predictable that everyone will receive education about um, how to safely move through the world, which is really what it is. Becca, what do you wear when you are out cycling, and what are you wearing to ensure your safety? So I um, am someone who feels that bicyclists should be visible and predictable, and as such, I typically myself tend to wear bright colored. I have a whole collection of red blazers that I will wear. Um, or brightly colored jackets that are not necessarily traditional cycling wear. Um, and I also typically have brightly colored flowers on my handlebars um, because I don't actually want to dress up like a bicycle commuter wearing a brightly colored fluorescent jacket that makes me look like a construction worker, um, although I do wear those vests when I'm on a construction site. Um, and uh, but I but so I think that people who are riding in the urban environment should be able to be visible, um, but not necessarily have to dress so that they look like a clown. Mm. Um, and and it is very important to use lights at night, um, and that is the law in all 50 states for bicyclists to use lights at night. 
and makes a huge difference in terms of your visibility on the road. And I'll and even turn I'll, I'll even turn mine on if it's snowing or raining or some other way gloomy such that having some visible lights is helpful. Is that when most of the auto bike collisions occur is when it's out it's dark? Um, there is definitely an increase in car bicycle collisions especially whenever you take into account the fact that not as many people are riding after dark. Uh, I can't tell you the statistics off the top of my head but it is a contributing factor absolutely. David, what about tips for driving in inclement weather? I mean, you, you rode over to the newsroom on your bike, obviously slushy, icy out there. What are some um, ways that people can stay safe on, in those kinds of conditions? Well, it's one of the great things about bicycling is it's a, it's a blank canvas that anyone can approach depending on what their attitude and inclination is. So uh, you see people with uh, skinny, tired bikes riding in the winter, and you see people on these huge fat bikes that are designed for off-road riding in winter conditions. Um, I, would, I would suggest, in general, uh, getting good fender coverage and overlayers for days when it's slushy like today I, I'm wearing my you know blazer but over my blazer I was wearing a rainproof jacket and rainproof pants uh, so I can throw those on and I've kind of got a base base system where if I get splashed by slush it doesn't ruin my day so that's really nice but um, I think I think fenders on your bike so mud guards that cover your wheels are nice to have in general for hit, when you hit puddles and things like that and it's also nice real estate to put on reflective tape and things like that so that you can stay more visible like Becca was saying uh, I prefer having uh, upright bars in the winter time so that I can move uh, and control my wheel in the event that things get a little slidey and I can see over my shoulder and um, I read this great article recently that basically said the best thing to do if you want to be more confident by commuter in all weather is uh, go and pick up mountain biking as a hobby because it will give you great bike handling skills and you'll react to the same uh, situations on the road intuitively that you encounter on the trail. Mm. Practice makes perfect then, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, our time is nearly up, but I want to ask you, each of you finally, I mean, what is it going to take to make people feel more comfortable on the roads um, in an urban environment, what's going to make it uh, the roads more both more drivable and more bikeable? And uh, David, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts? We're already headed in the right direction, as far as I'm concerned, and that's just seeing more bikes on the road and more bikes representing every part of society. So. Uh, you know, having the mayor ride a bike in a three-piece suit is a great start. Having uh, families out there is really important because these are these are streets for people, and people seem to be rising to the challenge admirably. And I'm looking forward to the summer when there's tons of people out on the road. Um, beyond that, I think it's uh, it's a clear connection between those people who want to see that happen and seeing infrastructure that supports that uh, from you know, on our streets that can accommodate it. So if we have a fast route on one street and we have a slow protected route three streets over, people are going to want to ride around more. And, and Becca, I mean, when we talk about infrastructure, what is the city going to look like in, in two years, in five years? Are we going to see more designated bike lanes? Are we going to see the speed limits come down? Um, look in your crystal ball. What is it going to look like? Yeah. So the city's working currently on making more of a low-stress, protected, separated bikeway network, um, connecting the neighborhoods into downtown. It won't certainly be on every street, but on a few selected streets, people ranging in age from, I don't know, 8 to 80 sometimes is the mantra, 
um, will have places that they can feel comfortable riding a bike. More separated from traffic, um, slower speed, lower stress, um, places that get you from A to B. Mm. Becca Rolf and uh, David Davis, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. And you can find our stories covering bicycle commuting on our website. There are links on this page at sltrib.com. I'm Jennifer Napier Pierce with the Salt Lake Tribune. Thanks for tuning in to Trib Talk today. We'll see you next time.